Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. On this episode of The Booze Hustle, we talk to Brandon Robinson, Director of Operations for Cornerstone Restaurant Group, a hospitality group that oversees many famous concepts, including Michael Jordan's Steakhouse. We catch up with Brandon in a rare moment off to discuss his really unique background in the arts as a professional dancer and the pathways that led him to overseeing one of the most popular restaurant concepts in the country. We discuss the importance of working your way up in the restaurant business and how sometimes friendly service is really all it takes to provide a good experience. In a business that tends to lean slightly to the bitter and cynical, Brandon is an absolute joy and really represents someone who truly loves what he does. Hope you enjoy. So what are you up to? Um, you know, just sitting in my basement, my secret lair. This is <laughs> when, uh, where I've been since we moved. Kind of made It's a nice basement. Yeah. It's, Adrian it looks... can't get down here because uh, she's pregnant and doesn't like the stairs. So mm. I don't do anything exciting, but if I wanted to do something exciting, this would be the place to do it. <laughs> we definitely have like the bomb shelter vibes with like books and booze, which are the two <laughs> staples of most importance, in my opinion. Food. I agree. Closer. Yeah, it is very similar, our backgrounds. <laughs> Oh, you have more booze awesome. than me, I think, though. I mean, just by nature of what I do for a living, <laughs> I accumulate sense. I accumulate booze. I don't drink very much of it anymore, though. How about you? Um, yeah, not so much. Adrian doesn't indulge, so it just yep. makes me look worse while I'm like <laughs> opening a bottle of wine. So I've consumed all of the cheaper items we have. All we have left are like premium bottles because I don't want to waste it on just me. Do you know what? Someone said something to me this year, actually that changed my philosophy on not opening good bottles for myself. Cause I have the same issue. Like my husband doesn't always want to drink wine. He'll be drinking a Modelo or a Corona and I'll be like, I was going to open wine, man. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, well, I don't want to open this nice bottle for me. And then someone made this comment. They're like, life is too short to drink bad booze. And like, what are you saving it for? Cause sometimes they even have friends over and then I'm like, I don't know that I want to open it for them. <laughs> yeah. Understood. <laughs> I understand that feeling for sure. So, yeah, no, I just, I'll drink my good stuff now. That's, fuck it. I'll drink a nice Barolo on a Tuesday. Let's go for it. We might drink the I feel whole like thing. You have, you have more nice bottles than I do. So the ones well, that I'll I have, I'm saving for the wife. She's giving me a baby. I figured at the very least I could do is wait for her. Nice. It's like a a, a birthing gift. Here is a exactly. bottle of Taiwanese whiskey, honey. <laughs> yeah. My gift to you is restraint. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Well, that's exciting. Baby number two coming. Baby number two. That's so exciting. Um, terrifying in a pandemic to have babies and work in the restaurant business. How are you navigating yeah. that? Um, well, not super well since I gave everyone COVID in January. But uh, 
overall, <laughs> it's, it's been okay. You know, our two-year-old, we had only for four weeks. I think you and I had just had lunch, but then the pandemic hit. So the whole time she's been at home with us, which has been amazing, just like I'm sure you've heard a million mm-hmm. people say. Um, and then with her being pregnant, I'm like, well, nothing different here. We'll just stay quarantined in the house. And mm-hmm. I don't know how I did it, but I gave her the Omicron. So let's tell our, our listeners here, like, tell us a little bit about what your role is um, the, for the place that you work. Uh, first, let's let's do your job title. That's the official thing to do. Sure. I'm the director of operations for Cornerstone Restaurant Group. I manage the three restaurants that are located in Mohegan Sun Casino in Uncasville, Connecticut. Nice. Uh, and the one that's most known for Cornerstone is Michael Jordan Steakhouse, correct? Sure. Yes, that's our largest restaurant in the whole group. Um, and uh, so we have Michael Jordan Steakhouse, MJ23 Sports Bar and Grill, which was right next door, and Soltoro, which is a fabulous Mexican concept downstairs. Uh, very close, but they're all uh, separate restaurants. Okay. How many Michael Jordan's restaurants are there now? There's a few. So we have one in Chicago on Michigan Avenue that's yep. right in downtown Chicago. And we have one in Oak Brook right outside of Chicago near the mall there. It's a beautiful mall in Oak Brook, Illinois. There's one at the Elon A Resort in Washington, which is a Mohegan Sun property. Okay. Um, and then we have ours here in, in Connecticut. Oh, that's cool. Have you met Michael Jordan? I have not personally met Michael Jordan. I was supposed to work his event for the all-star party, yeah. Uh, but my daughter was born instead. So uh, I went well, with that option. You're always going to have that to hold over her too. You know, Yes. <laughs> if it wasn't for you, me and MJ would be pals by now. I Did I ever tell you my Michael Jordan story? No, I'd love <laughs> I to hear I, it. I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. Please, don't, uh, please help me not get sued because I'm going to use the word allegedly. <laughs> Um, But this was, (laughs) so I lived in Chicago for many years. um, And uh, some point in my 20s, I was at a nightclub. Uh, He showed up um, in a vehicle with very tinted windows all the way around. And it caused this like frenzy outside of the nightclub. And as we were leaving, he was trying to leave, but he couldn't move his car because people were literally like just yelling at him through the windows so he just started running into people <laughs> like literally <laughs> allegedly driving into people to get away <laughs> they're like people like <laughs> literally getting hit left and right but i mean what was he supposed to do just live yeah, in his car <laughs> <laughs> he's got that effect on people i'll tell you what you know i know he's everywhere once crazy. you start working for a restaurant with his name on it you don't realize just how huge he is he's everywhere that's true. He's even on sneakers. Do you have Jordans? He's, he's, I do have Jordans. Yeah, I do. I'm not wearing them right now. Do you let your staff wear Jordans to work? Actually, yeah, that's something we do. We're thinking about doing it more, you know, maybe full, like the entire front of house staff wearing Jordans. That'd be awesome. I think so. Yeah. Di- maybe a discount on the Jordans for the front I would hope staff. so. That's my way of weaseling it to a discount myself. <laughs> I would like to work there for some Jordans. I will uh, work some sort of floor floor uh, managing swap situation, maybe. I'm sure we can make something happen. That's awesome. Oh, well, let's talk about your background because you have such a cool background. Um, tell our listeners um, what you were doing before you were in the restaurant business. Sure. So uh, I was a ballet dancer. Um in various roles, but I moved to New York City when I was uh, 16 years old to study at a school in Lincoln Center called the School of American Ballet. 
Um, I got into it in my early teens. I just randomly uh, saw a movie with, uh, it actually wasn't random. My mom showed me this movie called White Nights, and I had no idea what was going on. And all of a sudden, this guy who was Mikhail Baryshnikov, very famous ballet dancer from Russia, um, started doing all these movements, and it was so amazing to me. blew my mind. I highly recommend you watch the movie. It's a great film. And Gregory Hines is in the film as well. And just the two of them, it really just blew my mind as to what they were capable of. So I found a ballet school and uh, started studying with this guy. And I think like two months later, his name was Derek Wilder. He was larger than life. He told me, you know, if you're really into this, you could move to New York City someday. It never occurred to me. And four months later, I moved to New York City. I got accepted to a school. And um, yeah, so I studied there for a while and danced with a few companies, smaller and uh, one company in particular uh, I danced for called the Dance Theater of Harlem, which is a large touring company based in New York City. Mm -hmm. It was founded by what many call the Jackie Robinson of ballet. His name is Arthur Mitchell. He was the first uh, African-American principal dancer for New York City Ballet, and he went on to open his own company. And while it was a predominantly African-American company, it was multicultural. And um, I was the one at the time, one white person that was dancing for the company. Um, so that was an interesting dynamic from where I had come from in Houston, Texas. And uh, it was a, it was a very different type of cultural experience and one that I'm eternally grateful for. Mm-hmm. Amazing people, amazing artists. We got to travel uh, to a lot of great locations. And, and most importantly, I met my wife there, whom I'm Aww. still married to now. Ah, Adrian, she's the best. She is the best. I, I, I have to say, I have, all right, so I have two thoughts. First of all, that's incredible. Um, second, so my mind goes to two different places because I, I danced for a very brief time when I was a kid, but like, you know, the obligatory, like everyone goes to ballet, like in the tutu and nobody really pays attention kind of stuff. You were doing real professional dance. So I have two, two thoughts. Either one, you were incredible to have had that type of like, just rise that quickly because people study from the time they're very young dance. So you were either really incredible or they were really desperate for some dudes <laughs> like in the in the companies. Like, what is it? Were you just that good? As much as I would love to say that I was so amazing that they had no choice but to hire me. I would say it, it, it's a little bit of both points. One, um, there's not a lot of male ballet dancers in general, at least compared to how many female ballet dancers there are. Mm-hmm. Uh, like many things in the world, unfortunately, it's much easier for a man to be successful in this role. Uh, and so, like, if you if if you went to a ballet school and you were a boy, they're like, listen, don't worry about paying for tuition. Yeah. Don't worry about stuff. Like, just get in here, and we're happy to have somebody. So that, that helped me right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, I was tall. You know, ballet is a visual art form. Mm-hmm. Um, I, was, I was a tall person. I had a certain type of facility physically that that worked for uh, putting me on stage. And and frankly, I could lift people well. So if I, you know, I don't think I was an outstanding dancer. I, I you know, I, I'm proud of what I accomplished. There are yeah. plenty of ballet dancers that were much more accomplished than I was, but I was an excellent partner. And I got to partner some amazing dancers who went on to do incredible things. And I'm really proud of the work that I was able to do. I was strong. I was a crane in many respects. (laughs) That's incredible. Were you athletic before that? Did you play sports or were you doing any other type of physical things before you were a teenager? 
Yeah, I played sports growing up, baseball, that sort of thing, uh, a little bit of basketball. I rode horses a lot, but hmm. you know, I once I got into I found my tribe with the uh, with the folks in the arts. That's that's what I went for and never really looked back. I'm still to this day not a huge sports fan. Um mm-hmm. I enjoy going to live games, obviously. I love Michael Jordan watching him. Yep. You know, when he was playing with the Bulls was incredible, but... Are you contractually you know. obligated to say that? It's okay. Just wink at me, <laughs> wink twice if you have to say that. <laughs> I, I probably am somewhere in the fine print, but I do mean it. I mean, I think we all watched him play. Yes. And it was incredible, but... Sports um, ball. You know, sports ball, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> People ask, someone asked me and I, you know, uh, they, I think it was on Sunday, they said, um, who are you going for in the big game? I literally had no idea who was playing. No clue. No clue. We literally, uh, so the sports ball finale, the grand finale was on Sunday. What's it called? Yeah. Oh, Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Um, and my husband and I wandered into a, a restaurant uh, at another casino, actually, uh, on this past Saturday. And um, it was on TV. And we were like, oh, yay, we're in oh, time yeah. for the half, halftime show. <laughs> like, the best we part We did anyway. watch that. It was the best part. We did watch that. So, and then we, we turned it off. But oh, I'm sure awesome. it was a great game. Yeah, someone won. Uh, someone definitely won, and someone yes. lost. I know. I know that that's what happened. Um, so I would love to know what your ladder kind of looked like from going from dance to where you are today. Um, did you just start by working in restaurants? Like, how did how did that happen? Yeah. So I, at one point, actually, before I started the Dance Theater of Harlem, I decided I was going to quit dancing. I was living in New York City on my own with little to no support, and as you know, that can be challenging. And I decided that I was going to try something else. And I got a job at Dean and Zaluka in Soho. If you don't know what that is, it, it was the only, I guess they called it the gourmet grocery store back then, but it was the only like fine food store that you could go to if you weren't a restaurant person. And um, they ended up doing a lot of other things, but I got to work there and it was amazing. Mm. And I worked in the prepared food section and there was this old French chef that cooked all the prepared foods. And, you know, my mom, you know, while she made some delicious things, there were a lot of things I had never tried. Uh, my mom liked to cook meat to a point that it has no moisture in it at all. Or, gray. We call that yeah, gray. gray. Yeah. My husband's just parents did that. Gray. Sadly gray. And, you know, just <laughs> it was the first time that I saw like seared beef tenderloin or, mm. you know, eggs that weren't cook super hard or fresh aiolis and it blew my mind and I decided like maybe this is what I should be doing it turns out I love food mm-hmm. um, but there was a, a a very famous choreographer who who came in as a customer his name was Jeffrey Holder he's a famous artist and choreographer and he came in and he was like young man are you a dancer and I said, uh, I am. I am Mr. Holder. And he said, well, I'm a choreographer. And I said, <laughs> I know Mr. Holder. I mean, the guy, you know, he's famous. He was uh, Punjab and Annie. And he was, um, you know, a Bond villain, giant Trinidadian man. Cool. And uh, he's like, well, you have to come see my ballet at City Center. Uh, they're performing my ballet. So he gave me tickets and I went. And after I went, he, he says, so you're not going to dance anymore? I said, no, I think I'm going to be a chef, Mr. Holder. And he goes, huh. not until you audition for Dance Theater of Harlem. So I went and auditioned, and then that that put a, a delay in my career to go back to food. But flash forward much later, when I decided I was done with dancing and teaching, I, uh, I went to culinary school. So I went to uh, the French Culinary Institute, which sadly is no longer there after, uh, after the closure in 2020. Mm-hmm. And... Um, 
And yeah, that's how I bridged the gap from arts to food. So you thought you were going to be in the kitchen. Yeah, I started in the back of house. I uh, I had worked in restaurants, obviously, being an artist in New York City, and I was a mm-hmm. server, you know, for several places. Um, when I went to culinary school, which was one of the best experiences of my life, it was really, you know, after so- as someone who's had administrative experience and management experience through the arts and otherwise. So I, I was really just trying to get an understanding of what it is I wanted to do. So I did. So I worked for the John Dory as an intern. Uh, which is April Bloomfield's restaurant. And then I was going to open a food truck. Mm. And um, we ended up not doing that and buying a small restaurant. What was the concept? I got to know. There were several. uh, We were going to (laughs) do, there were several. It's like uh, uh, probably not great ideas. One of them was going to be a chicken (laughs) chicken and biscuit concept. Um, We were going to do a... uh, uh, a waffle cart at one time. We were going to okay. do hot dogs at another time, but none of them happened. We ended up opening mm-hmm. a small cafe instead. Um, and then uh, not long after that, I went to go work for uh, Caesars Entertainment as a chef. I was a sous chef there. And the guy that worked there, uh, our, our VP, Corey Johnson, I was making my rounds out front. I had the gift of the gab, apparently. And he said, you know what? I think you're a front of house guy. uh, In other words, you're wasting too much time talking to people. Just go out there where you get paid to do that. (laughs) Let everybody back here make the food. (laughs) Yeah, when you say it like that, it's starting to make more sense. So that was where I transitioned. I have been accused of the same things, which is interesting because I'm like an introvert who becomes an extrovert in certain settings, like a restaurant. Yeah. You know, when you're being paid. It's a stage. It really is a stage, though. I mean, Everything about a restaurant is theater, as far as I'm concerned. They, they have it's very, very true. many parallels. It's very true. I have played the role of um, very polite person when I've wanted to not be. I mean, you you play that role all the time, <laughs> especially during the pandemic. I'm I'm curious, like, what's that experience like? Been like just kind of steering this ship of of restaurants through this insane turbulent nightmare of, of, of COVID. How have you done that? Yeah. I, you know, I, I'm sure my story isn't unique compared to many, but I will say that I had three major things going for us that helped us navigate it. One, uh, the company that I work for was committed from the very beginning to providing a safe atmosphere. Uh, when you look back on it now, there were so many different things we thought were the right thing to do at the moment, but they always erred on the side of what's best for our employees and for our guests. Um, and secondly, is our employees, and maybe not even secondly, but primarily due to the fact that we have such a tenured staff that made it easy. They showed up every day. They really cared. You know, we we had to deal with um, you know staffing issues just like everyone else. But many of our employees have been there twenty years, mm. uh, actually have been there twenty years at this point, and that made it easier. Mohegan Sun's a great resort to work for too. And, you know, they, from the very beginning, were committed to making sure that we had guests coming in, we had traffic, but we were also uh, following strict guidelines. So I feel like mm-hmm. for the most part, having a safe place, a well-operated place with structure just made it a lot easier to take the volume. And there was no shortage in volume, that's for sure. Yeah. That's interesting too, because I think it, depending on where you were and, and what place you were in, that, that looked very, very different. But yeah, I was I, I've I'm impressed at um, especially how you've been able to um, 
I don't know, just really kind of captain in a way like that's very steady. And I think that um, I know people, especially like service staff in front of house, people were very appreciative when they had a leader that kind of, you know, was holding it together in a really positive way. So I I will compliment you on that. 
someone can really not know the finer points of salesmanship. And, and that's fine by me. But if you're just rude or not helpful or not getting that drink to me the first time that I sit down, then it's a problem. It's <laughs> and my true. wife gets it's frustrated. So true. It's so true. Yeah, because she's worked in restaurants too for a while. And I, I feel like I, and maybe I've said this before, so I apologize to whoever has to hear this twice. But if you go to a restaurant and you have a absolutely atrocious meal, but the server is awesome, you're you're going to probably go back and be like, you know what, maybe they had a bad night in the kitchen. Maybe somebody overseasoned. I don't know. But the bartender or the server was great. We'll come back. But if you go somewhere, you could have a fucking spot on perfect meal. But if the service is trash, you're probably never going to go back. And that's amazing to me that like restaurateurs will focus so much energy on an aesthetic and a, a food, but like literally leave it, like they throw the service to the wolves. It's it's mind blowing to me. Yeah, I, I to me, I was actually just thinking about this the other day. You know, there's so many cool restaurants out there with great menus, chefs doing really good work. And I'll find that the the aesthetic in terms of service really is just about being cool and there's no friendliness. And I'm not saying someone has to be, you know, overtly outgoing, but if we're not being friendly to each other, being hospitable, why are we doing this? I'm not interested in that at all. I would rather, just like you said, I'd rather just have a grilled cheese sandwich. I'm not hating on grilled cheese. I love grilled cheese. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, if, if you're not going to be friendly at all, like I don't really want to be there. I want to not think I want to have a good time, relax, chill out. That's so true. And and honestly, it's 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 endemic really like the cool thing makes me crazy cuz I'm the biggest dork. Like I you know what I mean? Like if if things feel like they're going over my head, that's intentional. Like cuz I I don't miss much, but I also just want to like don't be too cool for me. Like what yeah. are we in? Like high school here, like exactly. is it the cool kids club, you know, and I can take things being really thoughtful and um, well-intentioned decisions in your cocktail menu and your wine list. But if it's not presented in a way that's like approachable, it's like, forget it. It's such a waste of money. Yeah. So, I mean, let's talk about booze a little bit here. Um, I guess, how do you, especially in a, in a restaurant, um, we'll use Jordan's Steakhouse as an example. How do you go about translating that dining experience in a way that is approachable? Um, you know, is there a way, because, you know, people are spending money when they're going there and there's like a certain level of expectation. Is there a way that you can provide that type of service or, you know, have a, a certain bar for beverage program that you, you really try to drive to make sure that not only are people spending a lot of money, but they feel like it was worth it. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, no, value is very important to us. You know, we're always trying to give you know, a $150 a person experience for $80. It's, it's difficult to do these days with the prices mm -hmm. of everything um, or the cost of everything. But, uh, you know, that that's really what we're looking for. We're not into snobbery. We, we try to have premium elements and options for all of our guests. Um, but to have a team that can translate it in an approachable way, our wine team, our beverage team is really awesome. So if you don't, we encourage people to, you know, admit if they don't, know a lot about wine, not be scared about it, let them try things. You know, if they don't like it, get them something else. It, it's all about value for us, you know, and, and mm -hmm. that, that's not just with our beverage, but with our food as well. And that, and that goes for like with the customers too, right? Like when I eat out, um, you know, I might know an above average amount about things and some people don't, and they get afraid to ask, like, 
I always feel like you just got to say what you don't know. Like tell the server, I know nothing about wine, but I want to have a good experience. Uh, here are the things that I like. And I love that your program, it has such knowledgeable people that will kind of like guide people through like wherever they're at, they're met at the level that they're at and they get brought through, um, you know, the beverage. So it's not so intimidating. So I think you guys have done a really good job at that. Well, you know, not to beat up on all the hip, cool restaurants because I do like them, but there was a restaurant that I was at in New York and uh, I sat down and, you know, we asked to speak to the song and I told the song, hey, like we're wide open. We love wine. You know, uh, this is not a traditional place. And I'd love to know, like, how can you have fun with us? This is what we're looking to spend, which I felt was more than enough information. And the person was just basically like, well, what do you like? Like, I can't tell mm-hmm. you what you're going to like. And I was just like, well, that just put a wet blanket over our entire experience. And, and we all of my servers at all my restaurants are great with this. They're like, let's have fun. Like, let's get out there. Most of the people are at the casino. They want to spend money. Yep. You know, spending money is a part of being there. And yep. why not spend money on something you know is going to give you an amazing return? That was my favorite thing when eating out is uh, not when eating out. What am I talking about? No, it was my favorite thing when I was a server, when I would have people that would sit down and go, just feed me. You give me whatever you think is great. I got so excited by that. Like, I I know that certain people's disposition, they don't want to make decisions for other people and be wrong. But I was like, hell yeah, these people, if they're open enough to say, just like, feed me, then they're not going to complain about whatever I put in front of them. People aren't, the reins don't work that way. And so, I I mean, I I can't recommend that enough. If you go somewhere and you just say, like, give me the works, A to Z, like, that is the best thing. And I, I like, if you've never done that before, listeners, I highly recommend it. You got to be in the right place. But if you go somewhere and you put your like, you just go giving you the keys, just yeah, give me a check. That's great. Ugh. Yeah, give me a check. Be gentle. Yeah, well, be gentle. I mean, <laughs> I should also say be very thoughtful about where you are because that could go. Yeah. Just, be, I think people are very suspicious that servers are going to just give them the most expensive thing, and I don't, I no. don't think that's the case. No, I think it's more often not the case than it is the case. And I think most of us who've worked in those roles uh, as a server, you know, we consider it an art. It's something we're passionate about, particularly if you're in an upscale restaurant and you're taking pride in what you're suggesting. So I'm sure you were a fantastic server. I would have loved to have had you at some point. Well, if this doesn't work out, you know, (laughs) I lose my job. Always have a place with me. Be knocking at your door. Um, yeah, no, my my husband um, actually was one of those bad servers, though. Like, we, we actually talked about this last week. He worked at a restaurant that was one of those um, very old school banquety type places where, you know, he was in his early 20s. They didn't have a wine list. They just had, like, you know, five wines. And it was, like, prime rib type place. And he would literally like people, people would, what do you recommend? He'd be like, that one, which everyone was the most amount of money. And I was like, you made everyone else's jobs hard being that guy. <laughs> he also ate his steak gray. So yeah, feel free to, well, that's feel, okay. Feel free we to all judge. came from somewhere. Does he still eat it gray? <laughs> he does not. No, he would. Mm-hmm. We would not be together if that was the case. <laughs> There's just some things I can't overlook. Um, no, do you have any advice for people um, in our industry that are trying to build a career similar to yours about the choices that they make and places to um, take opportunities and or opportunities to walk away from? Yeah, I mean, I think in general, I often am challenged from a staffing perspective and finding people uh, to find the motivation of why they'd want to be 
in this industry. You know, particularly in the past couple of years, people are doing a lot of self-examination about how they want to spend their time, which is a great thing that people are prioritizing how they want to spend their lives. That is not a bad thing. And uh, it's the way of the future. Um, there's a lot of options out there. I think the most important advice that I would give somebody that's interested in getting in this field is having a strong understanding of what that truly means. You know, it, it's not um, it's not easy. Uh, it's you know, it's easier for some people in other roles. Uh, it's long hours. You're always working when everyone else is playing uh, mm-hmm. and you have to sort of think long term about what, what your strategy is going to be with that. And particularly for people who work in the back of house, because uh, as many already know, the back of house employees are working harder. Mm-hmm. They're working in more challenging situations and conditions. Uh, it's hot back there. It's busy. It's it's the ticket printers just spitting tickets at you. Not they wake that. up in cold sweats in the middle of the night <laughs> with nightmares <laughs> about tickets shooting at them. Yep. And, um, you know, often for significantly less money, uh, you know, for that position. And, and you know, you really... You, you either are really good at something and no one can touch you on it and there's a cer- certain sense of pride or you just can't fit in with, uh, with sitting in a cubicle and you can't be bored. But, uh, you know, I would say being aware uh, of what you're getting into is, is, is really the first thing you should be doing because, you know, a lot of people in our generation grew up watching people cook on TV and, you know, I, don't, I think they romanticize what, it, what it's like to be in these positions. Now I can tell you, knowing all that and working long hours myself, I love it. (laughs) I don't want to do anything else. I tell my team all the time. I do this because I'm passionate about it. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I think about food every day. I probably eat more food than I should. (laughs) Um, You know, I read, I probably pick up a cookbook or two a day, just looking at different recipes. And it's just, it's my thing. And uh, I don't think it's required for everyone to be passionate about food the same way that you or I might be, but it certainly helps. Yeah, absolutely. And I, um, I also think it's important on that trajectory to take the jobs that are not sexy in the beginning because you have to start somewhere. I think there's like this weird gap I've noticed. Now I'm going to sound really old here. But with just younger people who aren't willing to take the shittier jobs because they're like, I'm worth more, I'm better. And it's like, yeah, okay. But, but you kind of have to develop skills along the way that those jobs are like necessary for, you know, like the multitasking, the sweating, the cold sweats that you wake up with really kind of, I think, create these like neural pathways in your brain that help you become better problem solvers when you're in a position like yours, you know, because you've Absolutely. seen it from all these different ways. And I... I don't know that that's as available to people if they think, well, I'm going to get out of school and then I'm going to work in a restaurant and then I'm going to become the manager and then I'm going to become the director of operations for a very large restaurant group. It's like, exactly. well, no one's going to listen to you. <laughs> like, no, yeah, no, it's true. And, and, and you know, people that work in this industry um, of every position will very quickly find out that you are full of BS when you don't know what you're talking about based on your decisions. So it's important that you make your bones in, in one regard or another. But you know, I think kind of following the same vein is don't be afraid to just not make any money. You need to consider a lot of these things working for certain types of restaurants like mm-hmm. you're going to school. So, you know, if you're trying to make money right away, you're probably going to cost yourself a lot in the end, not just financially, just in terms of experience. 100%. And I know a lot of people are probably like, well, then what are you supposed to do? Well, 
if you were me in the in my twenties, you had four jobs, which yeah. I do not romanticize that either. But truly, <laughs> I had. I was like, you know, I at one point I was in school and I had three different bar or restaurant jobs at the same time. And it's like, that sucks, but life skills, right? <laughs> well, a few times, Adrian, you know, she's helped sort me out uh, while she was the one working while I was in school on a few occasions. And I always jokingly say, I'm like, hey, you know what? I think let's sell everything. <laughs> we'll move to Napa. I'll get a bike. I'm going to go stage at the French Laundry. Do you think they'll take a 40-year-old uh, prep cook or something like that? And she's Why like, not? that That time has passed. <laughs> you're, you're good. I, I'm like, why not? She's like, absolutely not. We have not happening. one and almost two children. <laughs> exactly. Stop, stop dreaming, sir. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, I listen, you're a delight. Uh, in an industry full of uh, curmudgeons, you are truly a bright spot. Um, and I don't just say that because I know you, but I also know how what people think of you in our industry and um, people respect you a great deal. So thank you for doing my um, my goofy little podcast with me. It's been such a joy talking to you and introducing my listeners to you and your story. Um, and you're the best. That's it. Well, I appreciate that. And the feelings mutual. You are a shining light yourself. Ah. I love your energy and Thanks, I wish Dan. you the best of luck with this. I really enjoyed the first episode and I'm sure I'm going to enjoy many more. Awesome. Well, thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.